When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Sports Illustrated Vikings reporter Will Raggetts. And this is a fans-only episode, trying to do some episodes where we have a guest fans-only um, analyst, answerer. Uh, so, uh, Will, you're doing a great job, by the way, on the Will Raggetts show. If people didn't catch your interview with former Viking Ben Lever, that was excellent. So what's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot. It's fun to to be back on with you. I don't think we've done this since maybe since uh, the combine. No, more re- more recently than that. But um, yeah, we, I've been doing the weekly show and it's fun to hop back on with you and answer some questions. Yeah. And uh, I've enjoyed your work, um, you know, kind of getting some space here to be your own host. I think it was maybe the beginning of OTAs where we got together to kind of announce the show. So what I yeah. usually do to start a fans only episode is I usually crack open a Diet Dr. Pepper, but they didn't have cans at the store. They only had bottles. So I don't know if people will be able to hear this or not, but I'm going to open the bottle. Oh, there you go. Did you get it? Did it sound? I I got that loud and clear, yeah. Okay, all right, good. So you know that Diet Dr. Pepper is being drinked here. It's just that uh, they ran out of cans. I don't know, supply chain or something. They're uh, They're not sponsoring the show yet, are they? This has become a a huge internet controversy, actually. People are (laughs) tweeting at Diet Dr. Pepper. They've had to mute their mentions. There's so many people who are trying. You know, the little guy from the commercials actually did tweet at me. I'm not joking about that. Somebody tagged even that little mascot that they have on the commercials, and he, like, responded. I I don't remember what he said, but it was something like, you're the man or whatever. (laughs) Hey, that's a a good step. It's a good... uh... Maybe maybe have to work something out uh, in the future. Really, all about public pressure. Um, okay, so before we get into the questions that I have for us to answer, will uh, the Vikings are apparently interested in in Dominican Sue? Your thoughts? My thoughts are that their defensive line is already pretty good on paper, and that would kind of be the one thing that they're missing is the guy with with the pass rush pedigree like Sue has. I mean, they have Armand Watts as kind of like their designated pass rushing defensive tackle right now. And obviously like all defensive tackles need to play the run and they need to contribute against in, in the, in the pass rush. But I mean, Sue, I think he still has some gas left in the tank. He's been a really kind of dominant, dominant in, in his prime pass rusher from the interior. But it, I mean, just imagine like a, a, a three down lineman front with him and, and Phillips and Tomlinson and then you have Hunter and Smith off the edge. Like there's a lot of age there and there's some injury risk and all that, but on paper that, that would be pretty impressive. Now, I don't know where they're going to get the money to sign him necessarily. Um, and it seems like the Raiders and, and maybe some other teams are still kind of 
like in the front of that mix, but hey, it's it's interesting at the very least. I guess what I would say is if you want to get excited about this, don't look up what he did last year by the PFF grades. Um, okay, because... see, I didn't have that in front of me. I, I'm going off like more reputation right now than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he had a really good game against uh, Los Angeles in the playoffs. So not maybe completely washed, but graded 53rd among defensive tackles last year. And I'll see if I can get his pass rush win rate. But I mean, age would be the big factor here. You know what it kind of feels like? It feels very Sheldon Richardson E mm-hmm. from last year where we were like, yeah, man, 2018 Sheldon Richardson. What a monster. Uh, this Sheldon Richardson, not too bad, I guess. Okay. But I mean, I don't know how it couldn't be an upgrade from what they have outside of Armand Watts. I mean, it would have to be. And at this stage in his career, I mean, if he's looking to continue playing, nobody's showing up with $10 million a year. So the Vikings have like, what, 10.7 in cap space. They have to keep some for the season in case things happen. They have to sign other Mm -hmm. players. So, you know, 3 million or something. I mean, your your offer can't be very big to Indomitian Sue. And if you look at last year, he played almost 800 snaps. That's way too much for Indomitian Sue. He would not be doing that here. He would be much more of a rotational role. Yeah, I mean, he's had six sacks in each of the past two seasons. I just looked it up. But, yeah, this is not like Detroit and Dominican Sue. He's 35 years old. Um, it, it might be a case where it's the bigger name than what you would actually be getting production-wise. But still, I mean, very – I don't think you can really argue, like you said, that it wouldn't be an upgrade from, like, James Lynch getting rotational snaps and, like, Jonathan Bullard and whoever else they have in the mix there. Um, so I think it would it would be a floor raiser for sure. So 44th out of 50 defensive tackles in pass rush win rate, or I'm sorry, in pressure rate for last year. Um, so not exactly the old uh, Indomitian Sioux, but I do think that playing as many snaps as he did probably factored into that, that he wouldn't have to be an every down yeah, player. If you, if you cut those snaps in half, maybe his per snap productivity goes up. Okay. No, actually, I know I had it right. It was a pass rush win rate, win rate that he was 44. Win weight. Uh, win weight. Uh, Sheldon Richardson was thirty fourth. So uh, I like the I like the Sheldon Richardson, there. who by the way is also still a free agent. Along I th- with, I mean, I think after last year, people. right? Like th- this always happens where we get into June and some dudes just don't have jobs. You know, like got to be able to help somebody, right? I think yeah, that he's you, one of them. You'd think so. You would think so. Uh, so there's all of your Indomitian Sioux takes in the um, event that the Vikings sign him. But like you said, it sounds like the Raiders are the leaders in the clubhouse there. So let's get into our fan questions. Um, We will start with at J holiday 316 for fans only hate doing this to myself and other Vikings fans, but following Will Raggetts and the episode with Will and Ben Lieber, how do you think a 2009 Vikes Colts Super Bowl would have gone? What do you think? Should I, should I start with this? Yeah. So I was, I mean, Ben as like is very understandable um, in our podcast was very confident that like the Vikings would have won that game by 10 plus points. And I think like it, I'll start by saying this. It would have been a very good game because I was looking into some of the numbers, um, basic stuff like like yards per game, points per game, but also like the DVOA stuff uh, and EPA per play, which which goes back all the way to 2009 um, and even further. And like that Colts offense was really, really good. 
um, especially just on a, an efficient from an efficiency perspective. Obviously, Peyton Manning was kind of at his peak. Um, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Joseph Adai, like they had weapons. Um, so that matchup specifically, the Colts offense against the Vikings defense would have been really fun. The reason I think the Vikings probably are like 55, 60% chance to win that game is because they had a much, they had a big advantage defensively. Uh, the, the Colts were kind of average defensively uh, and they weren't as far behind offensively. The Vikings had a very good offense that year as well. And they also, I think were better on special teams for whatever that's worth. Um, uh, not much if you talk about the Vikings and like the the idea of going to a Super Bowl and having to make a key field goal is probably uh, pretty concerning to some Vikings fans. But <laughs> you'd, st- you'd still like to get there and have that opportunity. So I think it would have been a really, a really interesting game. But I, both the Saints and the Vikings and like four or five other teams were kind of a tier above that Colts team if you look at DVOA. So I, I kind of I have to agree. I think the Vikings would have been favored in that game like – just all the star power they had on both sides of the ball. They, they there's an argument that they were one of the best teams in the one of the like two or three best teams in the entire league that year. So I know that Colts team was 14 and two, um, but some of the underlying stuff of their their defense um, makes me lean towards the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, for a 14 and two team, it was not one of Peyton Manning's absolute best offenses, which I think he won MVP that year. So he had great statistics. But in terms of how many points they actually put up, they were only seventh in total points that year, which usually Peyton Manning had his teams uh, in the top five. And then, you know, when you look at the path that they had to take to get to the Super Bowl that year, It was not particularly difficult. I mean, they faced the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional round and then beat the New York Jets 30 to 17 in the conference championship. And it was not a special New York Jets team. It was a nine and seven New York Jets team that they beat in order to get to the Super Bowl. So I think that as far as 14 and two teams go historically, maybe not the absolute most impressive that you've ever seen. The one concern that I would have for the Vikings, because I think they did have a stronger overall team and a legendary quarterback to go up against a legendary quarterback. So you're not saying, well, you know, he can't go toe to toe with that guy. Um, Favre definitely could. And at the time I was just looking this up. Favre's 09 season was one of the greatest seasons in terms of quarterback rating in history at that point um, through the NFL. So he had had obviously an amazing year, but I don't even know if people realize how incredible it is looking back. Cause we remember one particular moment, but he was so beat up. Would like, would he have gotten back to full enough health by the time they got to the Super Bowl? Because it was gnarly what new Orleans did to him. Uh, and he's also Favre, So you have to be concerned about like the game losing interception in playing against the Indianapolis Colts. But I think if you're talking about that matchup and Look, they went toe-to-toe with New Orleans. In fact, they really, by every measure outside of Adrian Peterson fumbles and a far of interception, outplayed New Orleans in the Superdome in that game. So if we think they were a little bit stronger than New Orleans and New Orleans handily beat the Indianapolis Colts, you could kind of say, if then, it really comes down to would Favre have been 100% healthy or close enough? And would Favre have done something absolutely crazy in that game to throw an interception instead of the NFC championship? Yeah. And that's why it's fun to just like project. We have no idea what situations would have uh, arose in that game. I, I will say like, I think it would have been a really 
fascinating matchup because that Colts team was super one-dimensional. Like, they were one of the top teams in the league in passing yards per game. They didn't run the ball at all. Like, they were dead last, I think, like 80 rushing yards per game. So that kind of neutralizes, to some extent, like the Vikings' biggest defensive strength was nobody could run on them. So the Colts weren't going to be able to run the ball at all in that game. They would have been really one-dimensional, which, like, the Vikings' secondary had some good players, um, like Antoine Winfield, other other guys like that. But, I mean, it's still, like, you're going against one of the best passing offenses in the league, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Um, would the Would the pass rush with Jared Allen – have been able to get home if they were like, they couldn't run the ball at all. You get in some tough down and distance situations. I don't know. There's a lot of things like that that we can think about and and talk about, but I think the answer in general is that the Vikings probably, if Favre is, is okay. And in one piece, they probably 55, 60% chance to win that game. You want to hear a soul crushing stat for Vikings fans about that Favre 09 season. It was the lowest interception percentage, not just of his career, in the whole league in the regular season for Brett Favre. And then he throws the interception in the biggest moment. I think that 2009 still probably ranks third for close calls of if they would have won or not. 1987 to me is the one where, yes, I think they would have beaten the Denver Broncos because Washington just kicked the tar out of Denver in that Super Bowl. And then uh, 1998, still a great chance, even though you're going up against an amazing all-time great Denver team, you know, 15 and one Randy Moss, all that. Uh, and then I think 09 is right behind that. If we were doing just percentage confidence and 2017, I don't have a ton of confidence that they would have beaten Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So that's how it kind of ranks out um, for me. All right, let's move on to the next question here. Josiah via the email says big fan of the podcast fans. Only question for you. The consensus on Kirk Cousins seems to be that he's a good quarterback but you can't win with him at his current cap hit because it creates huge roster deficiencies everywhere. But at what cap hit could you be a legitimate contender with him at quarterback? In other words, what's the salary number that could pay him while still being able to afford a truly competitive roster that compensates for his shortcomings? Uh, I will let you go ahead with this one as well. Okay. So this question is interesting. Um, It's a really good question, actually. The thing for me is it's not like completely black and white like this. Like there's not some magical number where you become a a championship contender with Kirk Cousins. Like in theory, you could be a championship contending team with Kirk Cousins at his, I think it's 31 million this year. And it's been like 35 million before. Like you could, you would just have had to have drafted a lot better, especially in the middle rounds, the late rounds, find some, contributors like that to stack your roster with young, affordable players, uh, which the Vikings just haven't really done at a very high rate over the past four or five drafts. I mean, they've had some big hits with Justin Jefferson and and players like that, but for the most part, that's been the issue is that they haven't, like the depth from those third, fourth, fifth round picks hasn't filled out the roster in a way that you can pay your quarterback as much money as they're paying him. Um, And a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, who's, a, a good, solid, above-average quarterback, but not going to elevate things, really. So, I mean, if I had to, like, choose a number that would make things a lot easier, I would say, yeah, $10 million, $15 million, even $20 million as a cap hit. Like, that gives you more kind of leeway to maybe if you haven't been as successful in the draft, go out and get another couple impact-free agents or be able to retain guys 
um, when you do hit on them. Uh, like the whole Stefan Diggs thing, there was, there was a lot going on there, but maybe if the Vikings have more cap space, they can keep players like him or Xavier Rhodes or um, guys like that. So it would be a lot easier to build a, a contending roster if Cousins' cap hit was lower, but there's also a lot of factors that go into it. Go to sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K, our loyal sponsor. Check out all of their great Minnesota-themed gear for your playoff run in hockey or for baseball season if you're headed out in the nice weather to a baseball game. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K, sodastick.com, hats, t-shirts, Hoodies if you need them for a cool evening in the summer. Sodastick.com has you covered. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I think um, you interpreted it broadly. I was thinking about it just for this year. But to your point, when you look back at the drafts, 2016 is a bust. No. Uh, yeah. 2017, they didn't have one. First round pick. First round, yeah. In 2019 is a bust. 2020 is Justin Jefferson, but the other first round pick is a bust. 18 is a bust. Right. Just like you can't miss on that many top draft picks or trade one to the Eagles for Sam Bradford. And then down the line, expect to have a roster where you don't have to spend a ton of money on it. I mean, the thing about 2017 that's funny is, and this speaks to your point is, so they have this backup quarterback playing, but Sam Bradford was expensive. The thing about 2017, though, that year, they spent a lot of money at the quarterback position between Bradford and Keenum is that Stefan Diggs, Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter and Trey Wayans all on rookie contracts. So that's all three, from that one. Right. For the draft. one draft. Yeah. Right. And Anthony Barr was as well. So you have pro bowlers all over the place on rookie contracts. And then what happened after they had to pay all those guys, too. So how you draft around the quarterback absolutely matters. For this year, particularly, we would have to work through what would they have had to really replace to be considered a team that's going to win 12 games, which I think is kind of the threshold for you're a real competitor. And I think the answer is probably they'd need about another $20 million. I mean, the offensive line and the interior, let us not forget also that Ezra Cleveland did not have a great year pass blocking. So you have now a replacement right guard that might be a little better than Ole Udo, but is still not a lot better than Josh Klein. You have a center that can't pass block. You have a left guard that's still up in question. You would want to replace two out of those three guys probably. How about another wide receiver you would want to add? I think when you're playing a three wide receiver system, you'd want to go out and get someone better than Patrick Peterson on the free agent market at cornerback. And right there, we're probably talking about 20 to 25 million, which would make him, I think your first words were a $10 million quarterback. That is about where I would see it because the thing is that you have more, more talented quarterbacks in the league who are making even less than that. Uh, But if they don't have a superstar like roster all around them, they're going to be just okay and not great, but that's probably where it would have had to have been for me to walk into the season and go, 
man, every single position is pretty much locked up and is a really good player at all those spots. And I would probably still have some questions about the depth because you'd still need another couple of players depth wise, interior defensive line being one of them defensive end. They're hoping what Patrick Jones, Janarius Robinson, DJ Wanham can be the rotational defensive ends. You're not super thrilled about that. So uh, it is, but for all those teams, if you draft a quarterback and he's on a rookie contract, it's pretty much a rigged game because you go into an off season and go, all right, what do we need filled? We'll do that. Thip, 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 and it's all set like Miami. Oh, we need another superstar receiver. Mm, Tyree kill. Here's all the money in the world. Right. And you just can't do that if you're the Vikings. So um, I think that that's probably the right answer though, is probably around 10 million. Yeah. I mean, even the Bengals last year, like they had Joe Burrow and then they went out and they got like Trey Hendrickson and they got just a bunch of free agents because they had so much money to spend. And that, that makes a huge difference when, I mean, that's, that's the cheat code is the rookie contract. Um, generally like it, just the way it works, a Kirk cousins type quarterback isn't going to be a 10 million quarterback because someone out there demand wise, like the Vikings is going to pay him a lot of money because they, they're, they're going to view that as being better than the unknown door. Um, and they want to have a ceiling of winning eight or nine games a year. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think I think ten million cap hit for Kirk Cousins. The Vikings have a lot more opportunities to really upgrade the roster at some positions of of weakness, or at least some some question mark positions. Well, let me. It might melt my computer, but let me go to overthecap.com and just see about Ryan. What was Ryan Tannehill making when they were really good? Uh, twenty twenty one. Ryan Tannehill. Last year they were the one seed. He was making eleven on the cap. Yeah. So that's right, right in our ballpark. And I now he's about, making, and now he has like a thirty-six million cap hit or something. Yes, and that's why he's they're going, going make things to a little tougher for the Tennessee the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, Twenty nineteen, Jimmy Garoppolo was making seventeen million on the cap. Oh, I'm sorry, twenty million on the cap. So you even know. twenty though, like if if Kirk Kirk's thirty one this year, I believe if you drop that down to twenty, you can go get two big name free agents with the way that you could backload a two or three year deal. Like it's really something to think about the fact that he's the third highest cap hit in the league. Like this was, and this was redone to lower his cap hit. And that's where we're at. So yeah. uh, Great question though. Appreciate that very much, Josiah. All right. This from at the real Gabby fans only question, which do you think is more likely both Hunter and Zadari Smith are on the team next year or both are gone? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you do the honors for all okay. of these. Well, go ahead. Sounds good. Um, I think it's more likely that they're both on the team. Um, I mean, you never know, like some, something weird could happen, but uh, Hunter's under contract for one more year after this one. Um, and then there's a couple of void years on there as well that they, they restructured his contract to make room for Smith. Um, Smith's under contract for three years, but it's like after this year, like the Vikings could get out of it really easily without much dead cap the way it's structured. But I just think like the, the bond between them two that we've already seen this off season. Um, and that's been talked about a lot. Like it would be surprising to me if, um, if this was just a one year thing and something weird could happen, like I said, where the Vikings could be really bad and Quasi Adolfo Mensa could decide like, Hey, we, wow, we, we took the wrong approach here. Let's start trading some, some veterans and uh, rebuilding non-competitively. Um, but 
uh, or I mean, or they could get hurt and because they both have missed a lot of time recently and maybe that alters the the picture and the the perception of things. But to me, I would be I would be very surprised if neither one uh, of Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith were on the roster next year. I just that that you you need pass rushers. I think the Vikings, unless they like weirdly suck, um, which I suppose is always possible. Um, they're going to want to have at least one in, the, in 2023. Well, it's almost like if neither one of them end up on the team in 2023, then they probably both got hurt and they probably, and the Vikings probably did suck in, yeah. in, that, in that part. I mean, they're just not going to be able to generate a whole lot of pressure outside of those two guys. And even though Jordan Hicks has some history of being a blitzing linebacker, the Vikings did lose someone with a really good history of being a blitzing linebacker in Anthony Barr that Mike Zimmer used all the time. There's not an, and Harrison Phillips doesn't rush the passer. Delvin Tomlinson doesn't rush the passer. So the answer kind of has to be that they are on the team or you're going to have a lot of problems with your defense. A lot of the same problems that they've had over the last couple of years when Daniel Hunter got hurt. I would lean toward they are both on the team because I think it would take some really serious injuries for Zadarius Smith for the Vikings to say, no, that didn't work and we're just out. Like if he played five games and got one sack or something, then I think they would maybe just bite the bullet on that one. But, you know, Daniil Hunter, I don't think there's a ton to say that the injuries of the last two years are predictive. Zadarius Smith, back surgery, and presumably a failed physical in Baltimore. Yeah, that's red flags all over the place. Torn peck, a thing that happens in football. Random, kind of just, you know, a thing. Uh, and really unconnected to the, like, neck hernia thing, um, you would think, for the, at least mostly. Right, like, more bad luck than it was this guy has, like, a, a serious concern about him going out. If Daniil Hunter is any shade of Daniil Hunter, 10 sacks, let's say, they're paying him, right? I mean, this team does not seem to be super fundamentally different right down to the fact that in June, they're looking at another defensive lineman. That to me would say that they're going to go to him if he has a good year and say, all right, let's do that long-term contract we've been talking about for a while. So I think that the answer is probably that they're both much more likely, but there is always the other scenario. Zadarius doesn't stay super healthy and Daniil, even if he does, says, uh, guys, I'm out. I'm not going to sign a long-term contract extension. I'm tired of this. But the fact that Daniil has let it drag out this long, to me says he must like the fishing up here or something. Like, I don't know what it is, but uh, he's had every right to push them to the brink when it comes to this contract. He just hasn't really done it. Yeah, they, I mean, we've we've had the, like, Daniil Hunter contract talks for the past couple of years now, and it's it's gotten resolved. They've they've kind of last off season they kind of kicked it, the decision down to this off season, and then this year they just restructure it and it all kind of went away quietly. Um, so yeah, I mean he he just has the one more year on his contract after this one. Um, if he is like Daniel Hunter and stays healthy and plays really, I mean he's only twenty seven still. Like I think it's a no brainer with the, how important pass rush is in the league that you want to keep him around for a long time. And the fact that they did not draft a pass rusher, which a lot of us had as something that they might do in the first or second round. And yeah. so it's not like there's a next guy on the way. No, and I don't, don't think like, yeah, I mean, you, you, you try to have like 
in every sport, like people coming up from younger prospects and like a farm system. I, I am not particularly confident in any of the DJ Wanams or Patrick Jones or we haven't seen anything from Janaris Robinson yet. Like I'm not you can't you can't bank on any of those becoming a star or pass rusher in the next couple of years. So and you gotta and I, you gotta keep your proven studs if you can. I remember us making the case for a pass rusher at the combine where we talked a lot about it and maybe the way the draft board fell, they couldn't get like a cave on Thibodeau or something, but it seemed like it wasn't really even a consideration to look for another pass rusher. So that would point me also in the direction of, they think they're going to keep Daniel Hunter for a long time. Uh, all right. Next one comes from Jason via the email. Uh, Bleacher Report put out a trade every team must make article. June content, baby. Uh, they picked Patrick Peterson for a sixth round pick to give the young guys time to play. Could you respond to this and perhaps your pick for a trade that the Vikings should make? Um, I'll just go real quick here. Huh? What? Well, here, I wanna, for a sixth? I want to read this because I this question inspired me to go look up this Bleacher Report article. And they always do stuff like this where you it's 32 slides, one thing for each team. Um, so so be, you clicked through all the slides to get to Well, this? no, I just scrolled down. to it, it wasn't slides. It was just like you just had to scroll or you just had to type in Command F Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> um, so they said, and this is just like the second part of it, the blurb, by adding Andrew Booth Jr. in the second round, the Vikings rendered Peterson expendable. Meanwhile, Cameron Dantzler is an up-and-coming young talent coming off his best season yet, and Peterson turns 32 in July. Playing Peterson in his declining years brings almost little value. Instead, Minnesota, and specifically, they said trade him to the Cardinals, where he just came from uh, in 2020. Instead, Minnesota should reunite Peterson with his former franchise in Arizona. The Cardinals need help at cornerback, but have limited cap space to make a deal. This trade would clear $2.38 million for the Vikings. Okay, so there's a bunch of weird things about that. Can you the, tell me who, who wrote it? So if it's um, somebody who comes on the show, I won't go too hard. <laughs> I <laughs> do not have it pulled up anymore um ian wharton okay. which like there's a lot of great i'm sure there's a lot of great stuff in this article but there are two things that i just want to say as like we follow the vikings very closely um about what was said in that blurb the one thing is that it just i think it overestimates the vikings cornerback depth by a lot like if you move patrick peterson and don't get a cornerback back who can play you're talking about Cameron Dantzler is your number one cornerback. Andrew Booth Jr., a second-round rookie who has a like injury history that's like a CVS receipt, um, is your number two. And then after that, it's like a Caleb Evans, who's a fourth-round pick, and Chris Boyd and Nate Hairston and Perry Nickerson, like re replacement-level veteran cornerbacks. Um, and cornerbacks get hurt a lot. Like You need depth at that position. I was just I, – I went back and looked at – the 2020 season, um, and I was tracking this back then, like the Vikings for the first eight weeks of that year did not have the same three cornerbacks play, like lead them in snaps the twice. Like it was in a different trio for the first eight weeks, which was kind of ridiculous. And they had to like sign Chris Jones late in the year and, and people like that. Um, so that's the one thing. And then the other thing is like specifically with Arizona, Patrick Peterson literally last summer was like said he lost all respect for Steve Kime, their GM, with the way he handled his free agency. So I don't think that bridge is still, like, open. Um, so that, that to me, is 
doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, take even take the Arizona part out of it. Like with the approach that the Vikings have clearly said that they are taking, like trading Patrick Peterson kind of decimates your cornerback depth. So I don't that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, uh, so I used to have to do articles like this when I wrote hockey for ESPN. That was kind of my thing was it was like, you know, here's 32 or how many of our teams were in the league at the time, 30 trades that should be made at the trade Mm -hmm. deadline. And so I would spend hours poking through rosters, reading beat reporters, everything else, trying to come up with something reasonable. But there weren't even 30 guys who should be traded at the trade deadline. So it was all. And then I would get from fans. Oh, why would you trade this guy for that guy? We would never do that. This and that. So I understand the challenge of trying to do something like this, a trade for for every team. However, this is a miss. I mean, this is like, doesn't make sense on any level. Uh, Andrew Booth Jr. Quote, I haven't been healthy since high school is the guy that you're asking them to rely upon and sending him back to the Cardinals. I think he'd just retire if he, if they tried to trade him back to the Cardinals, considering the bad blood there uh, with the way that he left, that doesn't really fit uh, on in any way. Uh, But you know, there is a kind of something to be said for this, which is if the Vikings had not extended Kirk cousins, if let's say there was some crazy thing where they get, or they gave cousins the extension and then Peterson comes back and then they decide, you know what? No, we're trading him away for somebody. Somebody gets desperate and they trade away cousins and they're going to play Kellen Mond this year. Then you would trade Patrick Peterson and you would do a reset and you would look for trading everything that's not nailed down. And I would say, and this is not crazy because it's happened in recent history. If they were to start one in five, Patrick Peterson is the first guy on the way out the door. So Andrew Booth can play. Nothing they did this offseason indicated they should be trading veterans for anything. This team is trying to make the playoffs. They are trying to compete for a Super Bowl. They are trying to prove that everything was Mike Zimmer's fault. You don't do that by getting rid of a veteran cornerback. Like in no universe do you mm-hmm. start moving pieces uh now that are proven players who actually played pretty well last year in Patrick Peterson when you're not doing a reset of your organization. So there was a cir- circumstance where this would have made sense to move a veteran to allow a draft pick to play, but it certainly doesn't now. And also check the recent history of rookie corners. It's not good. It's not good. It is very difficult for rookie corners to step up and play. And uh, I, I I mean, if you're asking a guy who's got a pretty serious injury history to do that too, you are just asking for Chris Jones to be here again. (laughs) Yeah. And no, I agree with you. I was reading this like as this is a trade that teams should make before the start of the season. And if in that context, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe if, if there was a time to do it, it would have been much earlier this year as part of an entire different approach to rebuild and try to plan for the future. And maybe it could happen if, like you said, if the Vikings start 0 seven or something uh, and, and that forces them to pivot, it could make sense at that time. But right now, I mean, no, they're going all in. And the other thing I found in this, article when I hit command F Vikings is their suggestion for the Denver Broncos was to trade a second round pick for Eric Kendricks, um, which a second round pick is a lot more than a, a sixth, but Eric Kendricks is also a lot more of a valuable asset than Patrick Peterson as one of the best linebackers in the league. And again, I don't want to like, 
I'm not trying to pick on the guy who wrote this because like you said, it's, it's basically an impossible task to like know intimately like what each team is trying to do and like the specifics of their roster and all that. Um, so from, from that perspective, like, yeah, it, it's, it's good content, but the thing with both Peterson and Kendrick, especially Kendrick's is like, it just doesn't make sense given the, given the win now approach because Eric Kendrick's is still one of your best defensive players. I think he's going to be really vital to this, uh, this Ed Donatel defense, one of the best pass coverage linebackers who can also stop the run and just like a really good leader and a good person to have in the locker room too. So that would, would not compute at all with the let's go on a playoff run approach. Yeah. I mean, so I, I don't want to get upset over June content for anything, <laughs> anything. I, I almost tweeted you in Dominican Sue's pass rush win rate when you tweeted out about it, but I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt his feelings. Um, but you know, the, like that, that's actually the thing with the fans only questions that sometimes I struggle with is that when someone comes in and says, Hey man, or the predictions week we did, I think they're going to win 12 or 13. And like, I'm not raining on that parade. A it's way too nice out and B I don't know, like that could happen. Um, so then you try to figure out how it would happen. The same goes for this, like it's June content. So I'm not going to get upset but you have to try to make it make sense in some way. Like the Vikings are going to get to June after spending all this free agency money on their defense and trade away their veterans. What? Like at least, at least Google what they did in the off season, man. I mean, come on. Like uh, now if he had written this in March or February, now you've got something like now, now there was a case to do things like this, but at this point, that's uh, that's just bizarre. So we've spent way too much time on a fake trade. So I'll go to the final question. Uh, well, this here, one there was, was oh, well, there, yeah, let me ahead. just say real quick that there was part of that question was if we could offer our pick for a trade the team should make. And I'll say very briefly, like, I don't think I would want the Vikings to give up or I don't think it would make sense for the Vikings to give up any future picks to add a player right now, especially since they already traded their fourth round pick during the draft this year. So I would say if anything, like, Maybe a position where you feel like you have a little bit of depth uh, and you feel like you can maybe sell high, not really high on, on like a backup to get a pick back like BC Johnson or, or Wyatt Davis or James Lynch, somebody like that. Um, that would maybe be my suggestion, but I don't think they're going to make any any major trades before the season starts. Okay, I've got it. Kirk for Mayfield. Cleveland then turns Kirk around, trades him to Carolina. There's mm. your trade. Yep. Yep. Mayfield plays so it out with Kirk the Vikings. For Mayfield, Kirk for Baker straight up. It's kind of a three-way trade. Salary thing being yeah, the kind of a three-way offsetter. trade. Yeah. Okay. However, that would have to work. I don't know if it could, but that's that's the deal. Also breaking set. news. <laughs> Purple Insiders Matthew Collar suggests Kirk Cousins hey. traded to the Cleveland Brown. I'm just saying. What's the difference in win total? Healthy Baker, Kirk. Healthy Baker with Justin Jefferson, very favorable offense, won 11 games just two years ago, plus not that expensive if you want to add a couple extra players here on the free agent market. I'm just saying, what's the win difference? Is it a lot? Well, same exact team, I think. Kirk maybe wins you another game or two, but Baker cheaper, more pieces, more money. Maybe that offsets it entirely. 
Yeah, I'm just saying, just saying. Just saying. Uh, you know, I know um, Quasi Adafalmensa is probably trying to take a vacation right now, but if he wants to use this, this trade idea, then he can. Uh, by the way, like Baker Mayfield what is being talked about is just a complete nothing at this point. Uh, his career record, including having Freddie Kitchens as his coach once, 29 and 30. What does that sound like? It's like 500 quarterback. Anyway, so let's go to the final question here. This is from listener X who did not want me to say his name. He says, my brother, and my dad love football, but they don't understand the X's and O's behind a given play. How do I go about dumbing down football when I watch film for several hours of the day as a high school football coach? I, I assume he means to explain how things work to mm -hmm. his brother and dad, dumbing it down so they can understand what he's trying to say. He's a football coach. They're just regular Joe football men. What's your mm -hmm. advice, Will? Um, get them to play Madden. At, at, very, at a very basic level, I don't know. I feel like I, like as a kid, learned some things about the game beyond just like literally just watching what happened from playing Madden, from playing NCAA football. Like it'll teach you a little bit about the base like cover two and like blitzes and route concepts and i mean you're not gonna know you're not gonna get that much from it so the 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 more like i don't know nuanced answer would be just try to explain some of the basics and then go up from there like man coverage versus zone and like stunts and twists and like four three versus three four um what's 11 personnel what's 21 personnel? just like gradually Go up to like coverage shells and RPOs and blocking schemes. I don't know. So I I think, but I do think that my Madden comment was was somewhat serious. That could that could help. No, yeah, certainly Madden gives you a lot of the basics to understand football. Uh, it also depends on how much your brother and dad really care about what the X's and O's are. I mean, I know that a lot of people want to sit on the couch for the Vikings game and then go mow the yard and then come back in for Sunday night football. And like, that's, that's the day uh, you and I both enjoy this when we have a Thursday night game to cover. And then there's Sunday. I'm not looking too deep at coverages. I'm just like tweeting stupid stuff and watching TV. Like, you know uh, there's plenty of value in just enjoying football for what it is. And maybe that's the answer to this is like, it's complicated, man. I, I asked uh, Terrence Newman once I was like, how can I better understand defenses? And he was like, look, <laughs> you're not going to because <laughs> you're, you're not Mike Zimmer and you're not me. However, if you look for two high versus one safety, that can tell you a lot. Look for how many pass rushers there are. That can tell you a lot. Look for like the, the offensive line, watch them who blocked who, who missed the block and how that impacted a play. And you can understand what's going on out there a lot better. Look for certain, you know, receivers and the type of separation they create and little, little things like that. But more than anything, it is so complicated at the NFL level. So many things are going on at once. Every single play. I remember this with, um, there was a story about Belichick, how an assistant coach had written up a play and Belichick was like, all right, let's watch this one together and spent like 45 minutes on this one play going through every player's details of every assignment. So you can do that with football. And I like doing that with football as much as I can. And as much as we can learn from the players and write about it and everything else. But unless you really are a nut about football, you're probably going to just enjoy watching where the ball goes 
and enjoy yeah. the game. So I guess I would say maybe try dumbing it down for yourself and just watch, enjoy the game with your family. Uh, that That's yeah. what I would say is don't take the, don't take it too seriously. You don't have to every game. Uh, if your dad says, why didn't he catch that ball? You're like, well, look, it was a two deep shell and they did this. Like just, you know, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take any like knowledge of the X's and O's to like, enjoy when someone makes a really cool run and jukes a linebacker or like makes a spectacular catch or a big hit or whatever. So you can just very much have some beers and watch the games and yell at the quarterback. And like, I mean, that's what I've done most of my life before I started like writing about it and trying to learn a little more. But if they do want to like, if it's a thing where they want to learn a little bit more about the X's and O's, there are some, some basics that wouldn't be too hard to, to teach a little bit about. It, yeah, could think, it could enhance somebody's appreciation of the game ever so slightly. I think even from our perspective, what we often try to do is just connect to something that you can see right in front of you to write about. So a good example would be when Kirk Cousins explains play action. Well, I think it's pretty easy for fans to understand when he fakes the run, he's way better. And it's something that we as reporters can give you a little insight on. We don't write scheme articles though. We don't, we don't go to some former NFL head coach and try to write up every single X and O and everything. It would be too confusing and it would just be frustrating. So I think that really it's, it's like our role to try to look for small things. Maybe that's the best, that's the best advice is to look for small things and point them out every once in a while that somebody has seen and can connect to like, Hey, look, watch how this, uh, cornerback plays this wide receiver look what he does there that's a really good technique that's what we teach our high school players like i think that's probably mm -hmm. the approach that reporters take of let's let's take something you've seen on tv but maybe you haven't noticed and ask the football players about it and have them explain it so uh that is the best i can do well did you have fun here your first fans only here will i did yeah no this is good and i've been doing this i think i've done it twice or something um where at the end of my show, I take some questions and hit them a little more rapidly than this. But this is this was fun to kind of dive into some of them and talk through them with another person. This is one of my biggest issues is that I will end up talking about one question for like 14 minutes and then be like, oh, no, I still have 30 other questions that are in the Google Doc. But uh, the what really makes it go is how great the questions are. So if you've sent me a question, you're waiting on the answer. It's coming. I'm working through that. Uh, and if you want to send a question, purpleinsider.com, go to the contact us in the top right corner, send it there or send me a DM or a tweet. I'll get it, throw it in the file and, uh, we'll go through it. And maybe I'll share some with Will for his show as well. So, uh, I really appreciate you, Will. You're doing a great job with the Will Raggett's show. Had a lot of really good feedback on it, especially the Ben Lieber episode, which was just the other day. People should go check that out. And, uh, you're going to do an another episode with Paul, um, later this week. Yeah. So. A lot, of, lot of Will. We also had Will Parkinson on the show yesterday. Lots of Will. Will to name. win on the show. I love a lot it. Of will, a lot of Will. All right. Thanks, Will.